G'day, Sparta. It's time for episode two of Not the Sparta Town Council podcast. And if you missed the first episode, it's worth going back and hearing about how the company applying to develop Sparta Ready Mix into a gigantic logistics interchange influenced our town council into changing a set of laws that disqualified their application from community review. In episode two, we're going to hear about how Mayor David Smith, Deputy Mayor Josh Hertzberg, and Council Member Christine Quinn are deliberately constructing obstacles to a review of the project's likely impact upon the safety of our township's children. And then you're going to hear an interview I did today with local Sparta resident and lawyer, Neil Clark, about how we got here, what the state of play is now, and how we're going to be able to stop this from going ahead, even if Smith, Hertzberg and Quinn continue to ignore their fiduciary duty to protect the people who elected them. But first up, I want to share an exchange with you that occurred between local Sparta resident Sally Larson and the town council at last Tuesday's bi-monthly meeting. Sally had shown up to voice concerns about the mortal danger additional traffic pushed into our school zones by Diamond Chips project will create for our township's children. Sally Larson, I, I have a question about the traffic study. I live right off of West Mountain near the high school, and I would like this traffic study to include West Mountain. I think the traffic, I know I'm doing it myself now, 15 is busy. I go across Houses Corner and down West Mountain. I think a lot of people are going to start doing that, and I'm worried about the high school. I'm worried about the high school. There was a sign in the middle of the road that said pedestrians. It got all bashed up. They moved it. They put in some blinking lights. Nobody pushes the button. The kids, people are just going back and forth. If we have a lot of traffic there, we're just worried. So I would like the traffic report to include West Mountain and also White Lake for the same things. Both right by the technicals. So Sally just said that even as it stands today, the school zones are unsafe. Even the signs warning motorists about pedestrians have been run over. Now listen to what Christine Quinn said in response. If you can send, yeah, um, the, if you if you don't mind, um, that we can send to chair because I think he's coordinating the traffic study. So Councilmember Quinn just told one of her constituents directly that she would take action to mitigate the impact of a new logistics interchange to the safety of our town's kids. But the likely impact from Diamond Chip's proposal to the safety of our town's children will categorically not be incorporated into the planning board's final review of the project. And that's because when the consortium of actors promoting this development orchestrated the change to the laws which govern our town's permitted use exemption, they did so for a specific reason. They did it so that the planning board would be legally restricted from incorporating the impact of traffic generated by the project to our community. And this project includes 191 semi-trailer bays, 307 car spaces and 50 trailer parking spots. Even council member Quinn should be able to understand that there is no way you can introduce that sort of vehicle capacity anywhere without materially impacting the volume of traffic pushed onto nearby roads. In fact, don't even take my word for it. 
take the lawyer for the town council's word. This is what he said immediately after council member Quinn had falsely informed a constituent that an inquiry about child safety would be followed up upon. The, the scope of the, the scope of its current traffic study that um, Neil commissioned is and revolves around the current site of the warehouse. But you know what the worst thing is? There's no way that Quinn doesn't know what she's doing. You know why? Because she sits on the planning board too. As does Hertzberg. Mayor David Smith, Deputy Mayor Josh Hertzberg and Council Member Quinn are actively deceiving their own constituents about what in any rational person's mind should be the most important consideration for anything, anywhere, at any time. The safety of our kids. It's a disgrace. And Smith, Hertzberg and Quinn owe their community, including myself, an explanation. I asked all of them yesterday to come on the show to discuss this. I even told Hertzberg that I would sign a legally binding document in writing that precludes me from mentioning the diamond chip proposal. And he ignored me, as did Smith and Quinn. So if you're listening, and I know that you are, you're going to be made to answer this question at next Tuesday's town council meeting. You can't hide from your responsibilities forever. Righto. Sorry for the dark intro, but I mean, it's sickening stuff. Uh, but now we're going to move on to a more upbeat conversation. Uh, today's episode, only a one Pro bono, I might add, is Neil Clark. Like me, Neil's a newer addition to our community. He's a great guy and the man to talk to about how we got here, but also the legal avenues available to us to stop this from going ahead. So here's Neil. John Lewis, which is pretty amazing. That's so cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um. I've just hit record, so let's okay. um. Let's start off. So, first of all, um, thanks for coming along. Welcome onto the, not the Sparta Town Council podcast. Um, Neil, do you just want to give us a bit of background on how you found yourself living in Sparta, what you do, and um, why this issue, uh, how you've become so involved with this uh, diamond chip. LLC proposal? Sure. Um, I've only been in Sparta for four years. And uh, the reason being is, I guess, most men find themselves in strange places is because of a beautiful woman. Um, <laughs> I, a buddy of mine who I I'm, lived in the Philadelphia area for about 25 years, and a buddy of mine had moved to Sparta. And I had found myself living in Milford, PA, which is about, what, 40 minutes from here. And you don't um, have to come closer. I'm just pointing it towards you. Yeah, keep talking. Always. Okay. And so, um, anyway, I found myself in Milford, getting ready to go back to Philadelphia area, 
And my buddy said, hold on, don't move. I got a girl for you. <laughs> and uh, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And um, so four years ago, in fact, it was last weekend was our four-year anniversary of meeting for the first time. So um, she's a local psychologist in town, and um, that's how I found myself in Sparta and um, have you know, come to really love it. It's, you know, a different atmosphere than yeah. um, Philadelphia or the suburbs of Philly. But I got involved with this issue because I'd read about it in the paper and I was like, wow, I've, you know, what I've heard about these gigantic warehouses, but I didn't know much about it. I was like, wow, one's coming to Sparta. Uh, let me, let me go to the first planning board meeting. Mm. And so I went and was listening and um, the way those work is they let attorneys speak first. And I heard this attorney speak who was asking very pointed questions. And I was impressed with, because I do litigation for a living. Yeah. And so I'm always paying attention to other attorneys and how they ask questions and how they do their examination. And I heard this lawyer um, start asking kind of pointed questions about you know, is this a, you know, and, and, and looked like they were going from a definitional from the statute about what's a trucking terminal and what's a warehouse and got the witness who was the engineer for the developer to basically admit that uh, this uh, project fits within the definition of a trucking terminal. I said, wow, that was a really, really well done. So um, I listened to that, and then the next day, I looked him up, Anon Dash, and I gave him a call. I said, Anon, um, name is Neil. Um, I heard you last night. I thought you did a fabulous job. And, you know, what do you think we can do about this? And that kind of created um, a bromance that has, you know, continued <laughs> for these months. And it turns out I'm a, I'm a runner, uh, ran collegiately. Um, and still try to compete with old guys my age. And uh, Anon also is a, a big runner. He runs way more than I do now. Um, so that, we connected over that. So you both look pretty fit. I wouldn't want to race you either <laughs> of you. <laughs> so you, uh, you had your whirlwind bromance with uh, Anand. And, um, and where are you guys at now in terms of um, sort of the action that, or what you're trying to achieve with um, – with introducing some accountability into the approval process for this project, sir. So, based upon you know uh, Anon's examination at the first planning board, we we got together and you know he actually has some land use experience, and um, I don't prior to this uh, engagement because I do antitrust law primarily, going after pharmaceutical companies for price fixing. So, so you got a fair bit on then. Yeah. So I have <laughs> going on, and you know, do these you know large you know gigantic litigations that last for years and years and involve, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Um, so this is a different animal. But anyway, we began speaking and he, you know, we were talking and he said, look, there seems to be an issue here with what is this use and what is the use under the ordinance? And he had the idea of, well, we need to get the zoning board because the zoning board is the one that comes up with the interpretation of an ordinance and whether a particular use falls within that definition. And the vehicle by which you get that done is through an application for interpretation. And so uh, he and I prepared such an application for interpretation, and I know you got into this a little bit in your last podcast, And but we presented that before the zoning board, and um, the zoning board said, nope, we're not taking it. We don't have jurisdiction. 
uh, you were asking for what the use is, so I don't think they quite grasped what we were asking. Uh, but just to be clear, it's not like they heard your argument and then didn't accept it. They actually didn't allow you to present your argument. Is that right? Well, they gave us, uh, we got there and we thought we were going to have, you know, um, we had prepared slides. We had an expert witness there, Peter Steck, who's one of the foremost planning experts in New Jersey. Um, he was there and we thought that we would give and they would want to hear a full um, uh, argument about why we think that the, they need to uh, uh, interpret the ordinance and determine whether the use fits within the parameters of the definitions in that ordinance. That's what zoning boards do, and that's what the law says they should do. Um, but we immediately got there. They said we had five minutes to present, and um, so that gave us a pretty good indication where their thinking was. So I'm trying to understand this, right? So <clears throat> do given what you've just described, for the zoning board to just summarily reject even – sort of contemplating the definition of, of a warehouse like they did with you and Anand. Like what is is that the right legal interpretation of their role in the process for them to say that the planning board has has taken it under their jurisdiction as a warehouse, so we're going to buy out? Because to me that doesn't really seem like how it's meant to work. Like I thought I didn't think that the zoning board can just abdicate their role in the matter because the planning board have done anything. I thought they were meant to work independently of one another. Yes, that was our understanding based on the reading of the law, and we cited the law to them, um, And but that obviously wasn't persuasive enough. And so they thought that, well, all you're asking for is, is this a trucking terminal? Is this a warehouse? And that's going to be the province of the planning board. Uh, although the planning board had told us that, hey, you need to go to the zoning board to get an interpretation, that we, the planning board, don't do interpretations. That's the zoning board. Right. And so I don't think the zoning board fully appreciated that they were there to do an interpretation of the ordinance and then well, compare that's, that. that that's, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. that's exact. That's exactly the point, right? And and I don't think it's one that we that should be just let, let go too easily. Like, what do the zoning board do if they don't interpret things like this? Like- and and what is the legal crack that this particular question has been able to slip through? Because if the planning board's not accepting any, you know, uh, submissions on the matter or allowing you to speak, and the zoning board's saying no, there is no legal venue to discuss whether this is a warehouse or not. And it's got 191 semi-trailer bays. Like, where do we go to have that conversation? Uh, well, I mean, it's a good point. And, you know, thankfully there are, you know, mechanisms, legal mechanisms that you can avail yourself of to get someone to actually make that. And that would be, you know, a, an appeal to the superior court. Um, it's called a complaint in lieu of prerogative writs, so a very, you know, simple thing. <laughs> you know? Um, but that's the way you would get, you know, an entity to, to, to do that, say that, you know, it was error for them to do that. And, and that's something that we are looking at very seriously um, and probably we'll have an update on that in, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I mean, I think that you put it very well. I think you've called it, you know, kind of a regulatory circular, circular reference, um, which is, yeah, we, you know, one says, hey, go over here. The other person says, go over there, which means you go nowhere. And that's uh, very frustrating. Well, it means the township goes nowhere and and the project gets approved. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, okay, so one of the big themes which is starting to emerge in my conversations with <clears throat> with 
you know, the elected council members who will speak to me, which is Dan and Molly, the other three won't. Um, but what I sense is, is building is a defense, which is going to sound something like this. Um, okay, look, maybe we got the ordinance changes a little bit wrong, but even if we reverse them, they won't be replied, re applied retrospectively. So they won't stop this project from being approved and they may open up the township, um, you know, they may put the township in legal jeopardy um, for some sort of action on behalf of the developer if the rules are rescinded. So do you have a view on all that? Um, you know, my personal view is that the, the, the size of that risk is being exaggerated by the people that want to promote the project because I think that there's just so much bad press in here for Diamond Chip and Jim Ford that for them to actually try to challenge um, a rescission in that ordinance would be so embarrassing and potentially put themselves in legal jeopardy for having to, the, the, the legal record states that they influenced the decision to change the ordinance. I just don't think they would want to have to discuss that in the superior court or something like that. But do you have views on whether or not there is genuine legal risk to the township if the ordinance is rescinded and, um, you know, any other thoughts you have on that matter? Well, I think that, um, there wouldn't be legal if it's applied only prospectively, meaning it would not apply to Diamond Ship. I don't know what standing Diamond Ship would have to sue them over a rescission of an ordinance. I think what they're concerned about is that a rescission of the ordinance sort of telegraphs to Diamond Ship. These guys don't really like warehouses, and they're having to now do uh, and determine whether to grant preliminary site approval to this project. And this somehow infects the decision with bias. That's I. They haven't really articulated that. It's so bizarre. But if I'm I'm making their argument for them, which yeah. is what I do, yeah. and for a living, I try to think through what the other side. But that's they haven't really articulated in that way because they don't have any legal. If they were to pass an ordinance and it only applies applies prospectively, I don't know what standing Diamondship would have to challenge that, other than yeah. terms of you know possible bias. But the thing is, they have. You know, the, the planning board has certain legal grounds upon which they can deny this application. And Diamond Ship's best argument, if you know, f for whatever reason, the planning board decides to uh, actually uh, reject this and not give preliminary site approval, there are certain grounds that, the you know, the developer has to challenge it. And bias is a very slim read for them. And if I were their attorney, that's not what I would be looking. There's They have much more other legal avenues. So, for example, one that you've talked about a lot, which is if the planning board were to deny site plan application based upon traffic off-site, meaning we're worried about traffic at Lake Mohawk or other areas, that would be, as my understanding of the law, an invalid basis upon which to deny site plan application. Because it's a permitted use, right? Yeah, because so Because the permitted use exemption restricts the planning board from actually being allowed to consider the impact to the broader community. That's that's right. Yeah, because it's permitted use. Yeah, and that's was, you know, why we wanted to get this into uh, you know, an interpretation that found this is it's either uh, a trucking terminal or it's not a warehouse, not a trucking terminal. That means it's a if it's something it's not, else. It's not yeah, and if it's not a permit if it's not a use defined in the statute, then it's prohibited. Then they have to go under conditional use standard, which would take into consideration off tri track of you know offsite effects, and so and then it would never get approved because obviously a footprint of this size on 
adjacent to a railway which already has the lowest possible rating in terms of the amount of congestion in Route 15. So that intersection on Route 15 near the Ready Mix plant, the way that they grade mm-hmm. traffic intersections um, for efficiency and traffic is um, is a letter scale. And the bottom, uh, I might I want to get this right. I'll, I'll look it up afterwards, and I'll, I'll if I get this wrong in the interview now, I'll correct it in the podcast. But I'm pretty sure the bottom rank is E, E for Echo. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go lower than that, and it has an E. So so the, already without the app, without this proposal, the road infrastructure around the site has the lowest possible rating for traffic flow already. So, you know, once you, if you look at that overlay, it's not hard to figure out why Diamond Chip needed to, to apply under the permitted use exemption because it won't get passed and, and as a normal approval because, because it's inappropriate and incompatible. So that's to me is, is you know, an, an important point to keep in mind um, because we bang on so much about how the ordinances would change. Well, I know that the traffic report they initially submitted, and I think they may have revised it, but that was when I, I you know, when, when I read it, the traffic report by the applicant basically said it was status quo, that it wasn't going to change. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was part of the problem was that it was taken during COVID and there's a, a whole bunch of other issues. I know the town is now embarking on its own traffic study. But the, but the is this whole traffic study now the town's doing is so duplicitous and dishonest because it, it's almost worse to, to then go and do a traffic study that does look at the community when you know that it won't be factored into the decision. It's just a distraction, isn't it? Yes, that's what I think. It, it gives the appearance of propriety and rigor, um, but it has no real effect. And that's what's so frustrating. And there is a way that it could. And now what may be helpful is if we get this decision uh, reversed, and the superior court tells them, no, this needs to go under an application for interpretation. And it's determined that this isn't a warehouse and it's not a trucking terminal. It's going to have to go under conditional use. Then that traffic study will go, will be factoring in. So, you know, maybe I'll ascribe uh, forethought to the planning board, which is a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> but um, in that event, it won't, that traffic report will go to much better use. Right. So perhaps that's the that's kind of the way out of this then, right? Is that if if the legal action is able to force an interpretation, then just the facts themselves will probably stop this proposal from being developed in its current form. I would think so. I think there's much I mean, if you look at uh you have to look at the statute in, in Sparta about conditional uses and there all the factors that people talk about, property values, you know, preservation of safety and health, tra- you know, off-site traffic, those are all factors that get considered under conditional use. And so my view of it was from a long, look, we're, if you think you can meet those standards, then go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But obviously the developer didn't think they could meet those standards because that's why they were working on this long before the ordinance was passed yeah. to get this into a permitted use. In fact, you know, as you know, it says on Jim Ford's, you know, Tray Three website, they part of the well they sell themselves is to fast track approvals, and the way you fast track it is get it a permitted use. Yeah. What do you think the likelihood of this effort to re- to rescind the ordinances? Like, do you think that there's that 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 it's got legs? Because this last week it felt like the momentum was pretty good, but then at the at the town council meeting that you and I were at last Tuesday. 
I mean, it was fuck. It was farcical, like the way that they discussed it. First of all, Christine Quinn seemed to think that that the proposal was to abolish the entire building ordinance regime. And I, honestly, when you listen to her speak in that meeting, it's difficult to tell whether she's trying to deflect or if she genuinely doesn't understand. But the, I don't feel like there was an actual substantive discussion about what just changing the ordinances that were changed in Diamond Chip's favour would be. I feel like they tried to railroad that discussion down a weird path where we were talking about what would happen if we banned all warehouses or what would happen if we didn't have any ordinances at all. So do you, do you think that that conversation is real about rescinding the ordinances based on what you've seen? Well, I think the answer to that is unfortunately no. Um, based upon what happened uh, last week, which is, you know, there seems to be some uh, either purposeful misinformation or just not understanding that the rescission is not was not to rescind the entire ordinance, only those provisions that allowed for this application to come in as a permitted use. There's way we weren't knocking out the entire. <laughs> I know, one. I know. It's so, but that's just so obvious. And like the way that Christine Quinn then just sort of like muddied the waters with this sort of bizarre rant about how if we abolish the entire ordinance regime, it'll make every property non-compliant and all that. Like it, it was just a distraction, but I, I don't feel like the real substantive conversation actually flowed thereafter. No, because I mean, it, it's just incorrect um, that one, you're only striking the provisions that allowed for this. What would happen is then you would just go back to what it was prior to the ordinance, right? What was the state of play at the time? At the state, the state of play at the time was there were warehouses in the ED zone. Right. They weren't eight hundred eighty thousand square feet and fifty-seven feet high. <laughs> um, I think the largest one is about ninety-six thousand. Yeah, that's a good point. So the largest warehouse in the economic development zone, where this mob are trying to knock this thing up, is ninety thousand square feet, and this thing that they're proposing be passed without community review has 880,000 square feet. I mean, it's 10 times the size of the closest one. Yeah, and I think someone recently pointed out that you could fit nine of the shop rights in North Village inside one of uh, these warehouses. That's just wild. And like the fact that they think that they could sneak this through, what did they think was going to happen? Like, you know, when they when they applied for this as a permitted use, I, I, I just, I think it's so duplicitous and dishonest. Um, on behalf of anybody who is involved with varying the audience ordinances in advance of the application. Yeah, and I think that, you know, to your question about, you know, the prospect of this, I think particularly now that they say they want to do a capacity analysis, um, you know, which I pointed out at the last meeting, which a capacity analysis is to say, okay, um, how much can we fit in this zone and what would be the intensity of use and, and can the zone sustain that? Yeah. Now, one would think that that type of analysis would have been done prior to the changing of the ordinance, right? It wasn't. Why wasn't? I don't know. Um, but now they want to do it. And to me, that simply means a, um, a stall tactic because you don't actually, a, a municipality does not need to do a capacity analysis, analysis and determine what uses they don't want to have. You know, example I use is there's probably uh, capacity in that economic development zone for a brothel, for a chemical waste dump. <laughs> And an open gun range, right? You could probably do. But we don't want them. Do we need to do a capacity yeah. analysis? Well, do you know what? It's so funny. So the zoning board meeting that I, um, you know, attended in inverted commas, they're still holding them on Zoom, even though everyone else is doing stuff in per in person. <clears throat> but um, 
at least they're not password protecting their Zoom meetings like the town council did for the whole of COVID. And the only way that you could get the password to the town council Zoom meeting was by ringing up a landline phone number in the township a couple of hours before the meeting and requesting it and they would read it out to you over the phone. And I've got a recording of when Dan Chiariello tried to change that to make the pub meetings publicly open and guess who was against it? <laughs> All the people supporting this project. So, uh, yeah, the the in the plan- zoning board meeting that I attended, literally the matter before they memorialised the decision to not allow a discussion of Diamond Chip's proposal, the matter that they did before that was a guy that wanted to open a gun um, gun servicing business out of his home somewhere in the suburbs around here. And he came on and made his presentation um, about how he's a he's a professional shooter and he um, he he works with the the mechanism in triggers to make um, make uh, professional rifles for competition better, right? So he's not like he's opening a gun shop, but regardless, they had a really detailed conversation about what he was going to do, and then the chairman decided that no, this was not the type of business that we want in a residential area, which you know like. Fair enough, right? But to make that adjudication and then to turn around in the same breath and memorialize a decision to fully exclude community review about what the details of the largest ever proposal in the ED zone by a factor of a thousand percent and to say, we're not going to review that. It's mental. Like how how, how can you be getting into the weeds on something like a, a sole proprietor's business at his home and then refuse to engage with an 880,000 square foot warehouse development. Like they're just, they've failed as a zoning board in doing that, in my view. Yeah, I, I think what you're pointing out, and to, in order to make that determination with the gentleman who wanted, I guess, to do sort of a gunsmithing business in his house, which is they had to actually get testimony about what his use was, right? Yeah. The same use that they forbid us to actually put on in front well, of that's, them. Well, that's so that's a way better way to put it. You're clearly far more articulate than me. Like that was a discussion about use. And that's precisely what. And does it fit within the zone for uh, residential? And they determined no, it doesn't. And so one would think that that sounds a little arbitrary, right? Yes. We, for the gunsmith guy, he gets a full hearing. For the warehouse folks, no, you don't get it. Sounds a little arbitrary and capricious. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, the zoning board lawyer will probably talk to them about um, at some point. Okay. So um, one of the areas that. Um I'm sort of researching and I think is, is, is important is the role of town professionals in giving advice to elected council members when they rule on things like an ordinance change. So there seems to be a lot of power and control concentrated in the hands pretty much of one dude called Stan Push. Um, and, you know, I don't think that that's in, intrinsically wrong. I think it's intrinsically problematic. Um, but he has a lot of sway in this process and the township is now refusing to release the emails between Push and the elected council members. And um, I'm pretty sure that there's uh, going to be, you know, people will probably try to challenge that. But the formal requests that were made by Jenny Derricks, the local reporter under the OPRA statute to see the emails between the engineer and the town council members have been rejected. Um, is that normal um, for the for, in that in, for a document request to a to a government authority to to be 
specifically managed like that? Um, and, you know, do you think going forward that we need to have a conversation about the role of town professionals in um, educating our elected council members on, on things like this? Yeah, on the first question, I th- believe that these are the town professionals were acting under the direction of uh, town council on a matter before a public body. And that, to me, is discoverable. My understanding, I'm not uh, the one uh, litigating that issue, but my understanding is that the law is pretty good, that you have to turn those things over. But, you know, I do litigation all the time, and defendants often don't turn over documents, um, not because they uh, have some kind of legal basis to do so. It's It's a delay tactic. And usually my experience has been that when you've actually win the motion to compel, which is sort of what's going to have to happen under what the, the town is doing, those documents are often very produ- you know, fruitful um, because you, know, you tend not to want to turn over things that are damaging to your case. So anyway, I think that you know, it's sort of like Shakespeare, doth, you know, you know, the lady doth protest too much. Um, so I think that that's what's going on here, and we'll see what's in there. And to your second question, I definitely think that the town professionals have way too much um, sway over this uh, process. And, and in fact, if you go back and you look at um, how the ordinance was passed, you had Mr. Push really the one advising the council on legal issues, um, which sort of shocked me because my understanding there were two lawyers present for that, kind of both, I believe, um, Mr. Collins, who is the lawyer for the, zone, for the planning board, and uh, Mr. Ryan, who's the lawyer for the municipality. But I know Mr. You know, Councilman Chiarello asked about, what about traffic? Like, don't, is that something we should take into consideration? And he, Stan answered that question, and, and not, not the lawyers. And he answered it, oh, you can deal with that um, at, at a time of the application. And as we've talked about, that is actually the worst time. Well, it's when you can't. So he's, he's just deliberately misleading them into a position where they're not going to be able to, to actually influence exactly. the approval. Exactly. And the law, what the law says is at the time that your municipality has authority over zoning, and it's at that what they were doing in February was effect was changing the zoning. That was the exact time that you're supposed to take into consideration traffic and effects. And what Stan had done is direct them, no, just put that off. And so, I, the, the, if I were the attorney at the, wait a minute, hold on, no, you need to consider this now. That isn't what happened, unfortunately. And so, no one pushed back on that. Why they didn't push back? Um, I don't know. It's. I think it's a case by case basis. Like you know, if you speak to Molly Wildsmith, she'll she'll very openly and honestly talk to you about how it was presented dishonestly to her and and why she voted yes. And I think and I completely understand where she's coming from because she was not given all the information. Dan clocked it for what it was early, and and we should be stoked that we've got a council member who's capable of making that sort of analytical judgment. Um, the other three. Um appear to have played a different role in this, right? Like, I, I, I don't think it's a step out to say that Hertzberg and Quinn appear to be actively trying to facilitate the approval. Like, it, it, they don't want to hear the public. They refuse to comment on the issue. They just want this to go away. Now, whether or not that means that they were involved in orchestrating the ordinance changes or they just weren't clever enough to 
to know that they were being manipulated. I don't know. It could be either. But both are a problem. Yeah, I mean, I had asked, uh, I mean, I, a couple months ago, did any of the council members know that there was a warehouse contemplated by this change in ordinance? And each of one of them said, no, they didn't. Josh and, and Christine. Josh and Chris. I think Chris Quinn said she knew about it on Facebook. She always says, oh, I saw that. She, she, she never gives you a straight answer. But, so, but Josh said no. And, and, and my point was that I believe the professionals knew. Yeah. And, and what's my base? Do I have a, a smoking gun document? No, I don't. Mm. What I do have are emails from the town engineer to the engineer for the developer in October of 2020, well before the ordinance change. And between you and me, which isn't between you and me because we're on a podcast, but you're going to get the other emails. There's a process in play, Train. You're not involved, but you'll, you'll see the other emails. Yeah. And, and, and so they, they knew. Um, and they had, in my interpretation, a duty to disclose. And this is something that I spoke about last at last week's uh, town council meeting, which was this was material. This being, is this a ordinance change for a warehouse? Is this a material information? Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> How could it not be? What could be more material than what the what it is? Yes, and that was not disclosed. And and Molly, what's so great about what Molly has done is she is exhibit A for why this is material because she told you. Had I known it was for a warehouse of this scale and scope, I would not have, you know, approved the ordinance. And that is, that's the by definition mm. material. Mm. Then it goes to well, someone had a duty to disclose that. I would say the professionals did. Mm. And if Stan Push isn't disclosing it, but the lawyers know it too, and they're not allowing it to be disclosed. Well, that's, uh, there's some. I think that I think the lawyers are. Uh, so the what what Tom Ryan and the the town council uh, what the town council's lawyer Tom Ryan is doing here is very interesting, and I'm laser focused on it. Right, I've been up to his office. He won't talk to me, but um, the way the 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 vigor with which he is trying to dissuade the council members from engaging with their elector electorate and with the press is. Very telling. Um, so I believe that he identifies legal jeopardy. I don't know pertaining to whom, but I, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear he's trying to lock this down and stop there being a discussion about it. And I'm not going to go anywhere. But um, the other problem is that the, <laughs> there's something really unpalatable about a lawyer that's paid by the township, so he's paid with our tax dollars, vigorously encouraging our elected council members not to talk to the public like think about the think about how wrong that is like the, the township reaches into our pocket for our tax dollars and that's fine it's how the government system works but then some of those dollars are dispersed to pay a retainer to a lawyer who then makes it his job to exclude the community from the discussion of the largest ever industrial development in the township that's not okay yeah, there is, you know, troubling. I think that what, you know, their argument would be as well, it's also in our interest to preserve the, you know, the the, the taxpayers don't want to have to kick in extra money to defend the town in a lawsuit. And all I'm trying to do is prevent that. And so in the end, I have the taxpayer's interest at heart by not allowing uh, to the ta you know, the public to discuss a matter that's pending. That's yeah, I fully reject that one hundred percent. That is completely wrong. And I'm not. I know you're not advancing that argument. You're just describing it. But what 
that, that is completely, completely wrong. First of all, the township would much rather have no intermodal logistics, 900,000 square foot warehouse and a lawsuit than they would have no lawsuit and a industrial development, which is going to completely, you know, change the quality of life in the township, right? So first of all, that that choice is a false one if it's being advanced by, by Tom Ryan or Josh Hertzberg or anyone else. Second of all, you don't get to put your name on a ballot, ask for the community to vote for you, preside over a dramatic failure of legislative government like they have done you know, in, in allowing these ordinances to go through, and then say, okay, well, we won't do it again, but let this one go through because the township might get sued. You don't get to do that. You can't put a gun to the head of your electorate and say, well, I made a mistake, but if we try to, ret- if we try to reverse it, then the town's going to get sued. So end of story. No, what should happen is they should rescind it. If the, law- if the developer sues us, they fight the course and the township should vote Josh Hertzberg out at the next election. That's the mechanism. We don't give people a pass for their mistakes. We, we follow whatever fact pattern follows from those mistakes and then we change our elected council members like he can't rely on the legal jeopardy defense to quash this discussion it's just not good enough yeah i agree and i I think that he has probably underappreciated that there is legal risks not only from the developer uh but from others and i think that um if that should be considered but frankly i don't think that the public is going to have much sway over them until they appreciate that the risk from objectors, the legal risk from objectors is either equal to or greater than. And I think that there are ways to get them to appreciate that. And it's a sad state of affairs that the way that we judge their behavior is in who they're more scared of. What elected town, what elected leaders should do, and particularly in local government where it's not a career, you're doing it because you care about the community. What they should do is be brave and courageous and stand up to people like Jim Ford. There's no shortage of Jim Fords in the world, right? There's no shortage of spivvy property developers who run around trying to manipulate local processes like this. It happens all the time. And that's why local government officials need to have guts. They need to have character. They need to be strong. And Josh Hertzberg and Christine Quinn and Mayor Smith are demonstrating themselves to be precisely the opposite of that. Um, Because if you if you if you're not willing to stand up for the community on this one, what are you willing to stand up in the community for? Like I, I really can't understand it. When you have unanimous opposition, and you're still too much of a wimp to stand up to to a property developer and a town engineer, like if that is the excuse, if they are genuinely scared of what the repercussions might be, not good enough. I think the more likely reality is that they probably have played a role in in facilitating the whole project and that's why they want it to go away so they don't have to answer questions. But if they genuinely are scared about a res- retaliation from the property developer, then grow a pair, right? <laughs> like that's what you're there to do. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably what's the most disheartening part of this process is that people do feel that the elected leaders don't have their interest at heart and aren't representing them. They have a, a narrow constituency that the town is answerable to. Have you seen the video of when um have you seen the video of when Ford first meets the the town council and he stands up and he gets introduced to everyone and then he just looks at Hertzberg and he goes, Hey Josh, how are you? 
I heard that. Yeah, which is they the, the meaning that they uh, that wasn't the first time that they had met. Clearly, and it was meant to be the first time that he was fronting the town council. So clearly, Josh had met with him pre that. Is the point? Yeah, and, and when that was, I don't know. I mean, there are, um, you know, pre application meetings. That's something that happens in, in land use all the time. I don't know that members of the planning board go to those meetings. Um, but I know that lawyers for the town and engineers for the town do meet with developers prior to an application that, because they kind of to suss things out and to, and, and to get so the applicant kind of files a, is able to file a complete application. I get that. Um, but I think what we're discovering is, is way before the ordinance change, there were meetings and township professionals knew this. And then, as we discussed, did not disclose that fact to the people who were charged with actually voting on the ordinance. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it just stinks to high hell, the whole setup when you look at it sequentially like that. And again, like these aren't reasons that to to directly allege a corrupt process. It might've been a corrupt process. I can't categorically say if it was or wasn't, but they're definitely reasons to introduce accountability and oversight, not reduce accountability and oversight. So that's what I think is really important is that it's not even contested that the the fact pattern that led to this is conjecturable, right? Like, I mean, everyone knows there's a lot of moving parts. The township won't disclose various aspects of it. Da, 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 da. Okay, fine. So let's have a proper community review then. You can't you can't look at that setup and then go, and we're going to lower the level of community involvement. Like, how how's that the right response? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um you know, in addition to, you know, let's hope that this this uh, application gets denied. But even if it doesn't, I think that there's uh, significant changes that need to happen to the actual process here. Um, one, which you've alluded to, is that we, we need to change the structure of how our professional engineers get paid. Um, we used to have a professional engineer who was employee of the town. I think we may have had two of them. And so, as you point out, and others have pointed out, if you do it that way, then the the town engineer doesn't have uh, an incentive, right, to go out and get the biggest development possible and the most. This is this is part of Push's conflict of interest, right? He gets paid a, a paid a retainer by the township, but he also gets paid out of the escrow funds that are posted by prospective developers when they lodge their application. So, um, in the case of Diamond Chip, he 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 would have a financial claim on the funds that they posted into escrow when they made their application. Now, that's the most basic conflict of interest that can arise in a regulatory setting. If, if somebody who is connected to or involved in the regulation process has a personally scalable financial incentive tied to increasing the size and the frequency of approvals that flow from the body that he advises, uh-uh, not okay. And that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah, and I think that, that it does, and I... I think that it's, unfortunately, it's probably legal, um, but that doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. There's, if it was, I mean, it'd be easier if it was illegal because, you know, we could file a complaint and, and, and hopefully the Department of Justice would investigate it, but it's not, it's not illegal. It's, it's unethical and it's, it's not in the community's interests yeah. is the point. Yeah, and, and the township has a way to, one, recognize that, that there's a conflict of interest there. Two, put mechanisms in place so that that doesn't infect the process. How do they do that? They get a township engineer 
who's an employee of the town, who doesn't have that scalable financial incentive. They can do that. And, um, you know, or they could hire on a contracted basis who doesn't, who isn't paid. You say, listen, we're going to pay you X amount for this time period to help us on uh, this warehouse. And so they, it's not, you don't want to tie the township professional's income to the developer. And that's what's happened here. And because of that, we see the result of what happens in that. And it's, I've, I've asked this question, I haven't really gotten a straight answer, which is whether there's a disclosure requirements by all the professionals. And what I mean by that is, as you know, Diamond Ship Realty is made up not just of Jim Ford, but of um, Frank Hunkel. Hunkel, who owns Ready Mix, been in town well, a long actually, time. T- t- sorry, this is an important te- technical, like important detail. So I interrupt you for, for I think, for good reason. Sure. So he's actually not, Jim Ford's actually not listed as a principal of Diamond Chip LLC on the incorporation documents. He's He's incorporated his own vehicle called Jim Ford Realty LLC. And I'm trying to figure out why he did that. Um, but but he has legally separated himself from Diamond Chip to some extent. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think there is someone from his organization who is on, who is part of Diamond Chip Realty LLC. And the and the, and the point I wanted to make was that you know one of the other owners of Diamond Chip is um, the, the gentleman Mr. Shortino, who's also the owner of Blue Diamond Trash Removal, big business in town. My point is. Did Stan ever have to disclose to town council that his firm or he himself had ever represented any of those other owners, right? Had he ever rep- because those are big businesses in town, it wouldn't surprise me if CP Engineers has done work for them. I'll re- I'll, I'll I'll see how yeah. if I can investigate. Because all it means is if I were a town council member, I would want to know that my town professional is giving me the most objective advice possible. And that advice is not infected by uh, the professional's monetary interest, right? And so it's, it's not hard to, to divine a, a circumstance under which that if his firm is getting a lot of proceeds from, you know, either Ready Mix or from Blue Diamond, um, it's going to be hard for Mr. Push to offer advice that would stop a development that is being advocated by them. And I think... I don't know that. I would want to know that if I were a town council person. And as far as I know, they never asked that, and there's nothing there that they've ever vetted that. And I hope they correct me and tell me that I'm wrong, that no, Mr. Clark, we did this, and he's never represented any of them, and you don't know what you're talking about. I hope that's the answer to it. I just don't have it yet, but I would want to know it as a to be an informed uh, town leader. Yeah, we're going to find out. Um, last question, because I think we've covered a lot of really good stuff here. Um so one, something that's really stu- like struck me since I came to this whole thing, which is obviously much more recently than you, um, is the way that the, the that the the planning board and the zoning board and the town council speak to the community in these meetings. It's it's an absolute disgrace the way that that the hostility and the adversarial nature with which they approach discussions with their constituents. Is this normal in Sparta or is this something that's just happening because of this project? Um, I think it may be just, um, it may happen here specifically. Uh, I've spoken with other people who say, you know, 
they they've noticed it as well. Like if this happened in Australia, these guys would forget the next election. Like they they would they would they wouldn't be allowed to live in the town anymore if they spoke to the community the way that these people speak to the community and proclaim to be their leaders. Like. I can't believe that people put up with it. Yeah, I mean, I think for I don't notice it as much as others because you know I guess it's probably the nature of what I do. Yeah. I'm I'm used to other, I'm used to judges and my opposing counsel telling me I don't know what I'm talking about, and yes. you know, so maybe I have a thicker skin about it. But what I did notice was the way that the town council members um, talk to one another. There was a just a lack of collegiality. Um, particularly on how they te- uh, treated Mr. Uh, Councilman Chiarello. Hertzberg won't even speak. He won't shake down Chiarello's hand. I mean, that's- they, 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 they this, and this is another, th- I've got a whole episode about this where I'm speaking with members of the township and county um, legislatures from all around Sparta. And I've got all these different public officials that are going to tell us about how how embarrassed they are by what's happening in Sparta Town Council because they've heard the videos, right? They heard the tapes. And and all of them to a T say like, these guys, um, it sounds like that they're there representing the property developer, not representing the community. Like it's it's bizarre. I, I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's, it's really, it, that's the thing. And that's what's got people so upset is that they don't feel like they're being heard or the town council members are not, save for Molly and Dan, are not trying to be answerable to the um, to the people who elected them. And then as far as the lack of collegiality, I mean, that just, I didn't know that. I mean, I mean, after I did the cross-examination of Jim Ford two weeks ago, and after the hearing, I went up to him and shook his hand, as I do when I do any witness, which is we all have a role to play. And, you and yeah. you know, it's it's not personal. I don't have personal, you know, I get it. If I were a developer, I would be doing what I could to get the project done. Well, you see this in, you see this in all sorts of things. You see it in business, right? So before I was a journalist, I used to work in finance, and I was executive director of the North American Markets Group for J.P. Morgan Chase. And before that, I, I ran the Asian business for, for Merrill Lynch in London and Hong Kong. And the one thing that I always noticed when you get into sort of the senior management groups of these organizations is that the people who are petty and feel infringed upon by different views are always the least capable. It's, it's, it's a small character trait. And the way that, that Hertzberg and Quinn in particular, but to some extent the mayor as well, um, talk down to and ignore the community is a sign of weakness, not of strength. It's a sign of basically just being small people. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a product of the, you know, my, my job is the adversarial system. I believe in the adversarial system, which is if you have a good argument, make it and have it on the merits and we'll hash it out. Um, and you don't have to get into ad hominem attacks and you don't take it personally. Um, and so that's what I would hope that people wouldn't take it personally. That we are here to try to improve the process, defend the program on its merits, and to yet we haven't heard a real articulation of the benefits of this, other than some vague talk about rateables um, that doesn't even factor in all kinds of other indirect costs that would be associated with this project. Well, that's a good point. Like if 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 they're going to continue to support this thing, then. Okay, you won't engage with any of the questions that we've been discussing so far in this interview, but at least tell us what the tax take's going to be. 
No, can't do that because Diamond Chip don't have a tenant lined up. You know, like the, all of the positive impacts of this project that are being purported, none of them have any rigor behind them in terms of how they've been explained so far as I can see. Yeah, maybe that, I mean, maybe that's why they don't reveal it is because the, you could poke more holes of it than you could just Swiss cheese. And so I think that, that that's perhaps some of it, but I think that we need to have a more articulation of why this is um, good for the town. But my guess is they it, those arguments are very hard to make. And so, and you don't want to make them. And so you you put on a pretense of, well, you know, if we want to have propriety in the proceedings, we can't talk about it. So. Um, mate, this has been really, really, uh, really, really good. I think, I feel like we, it's going to be helpful for people to hear about, you know, you describing the legal proceeds in the way that you have, because there's a lot of noise and the waters have been deliberately muddied. And, um, and I think this will be helpful. So. What would your parting message to the people of Sparta be about this project? How can they help? How can they how can they um, participate, contribute, um, and try to protect our community from this going ahead? Sure, not not to sound like Churchill, but never give up, never give up, never give up. Well, he was right. It worked. And, but, <laughs> it worked, right? And um, these this process has a lot of ups and downs. Um, one day you'll feel on top of the world, another day you'll feel at the bottom of it. But there are a lot of other avenues exist to get this project stopped. There is um, many miles to go before we sleep. Um, the way you can stay engaged is to continue to follow Sparta Responsible Development. Um, we'll be having events, I think, uh, probably next month. We are going to have an event to kind of like a quarterly report. Where are we now? Um, what's going on? Um, because... And a lot of people have subject matter expertise um, that they can lend. You know, we have, you know, architects who are helping us uh, about this. We have people who have environmental backgrounds who can lend their um, uh, support and offer advice and put us in touch with other experts. So that is, it's, it's awesome the way that all these different people from the community are banding together. And actually, it's really fun. Like when you start into, like, I'm really enjoying this process because I've got to meet so many new people from the community who do all sorts of different things. Like, so I would say to anybody who's considering coming to one of those events, like it's actually really fun. And like when you, when you come to the, to the town council or the planning board and, you know, I make a fool of myself by yelling at all these clowns, like it, that it seems very aggressive and angry and, 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 and I apologize for that. But the conversations that we have, um, you know, outside of that setting, I feel like a really enjoyable and enlightening and it's a really good group of people yeah it's funny that before this happened i was talking to my wife i was like you know honey i've been here four years um i mean i have some friends i know some people but i don't feel so engaged and then literally like two weeks later the warehouse thing drops and now i've met <laughs> more people calling me texting i have you know met so many fun interesting people along the way and that's a selling point for getting involved in this because you will uh, meet a lot of very interesting people. And I liken this to um, that if you can't care about the town that you live in, right, that's the probably other than your family, where you live is going to affect your life in ways um, that nothing else will. So we have a stake in it and we can try to make it the way we want it, but we have to show up and we have to have our voices heard. And you can do that and have fun along the way. So, and it could be. I mean, a, a few people have said to me that they think that 
this whole process could be like a, a, a bit of an inflection point in terms of the way that the community is being represented. Like, you know, people are so fired up about this that they're not, regardless of the outcome, you know, everyone's going to know what happened. And if Quinn and Hertzberg and Smith allow this thing to get through, um, you know, they're, they're le- they're, their legacy is gone. Um, you know, people people are already calling it the Hertzberg logistics interchange, right? <laughs> so, like, their um, standing within the community will be zero. And I think, um, I think more constructively than that, like, this is probably going to be like a, an event which galvanizes the people who do care about the community, whose interests, who's, for whom the community's interests are the primary concern. And, you know, I don't think it's going to stop with, with this mine. I feel like at upcoming elections, we'll probably have more people that'll stick their hand up, more people keep coming to boards. It could be a really, it could end up it, you know, sort of incubating quite a positive dialogue in the community. I think so. I think. I think it's getting people much more engaged and our policy will benefit from that. Um, you know, as they say, I think, you know, the price people pay for indifference to public affairs is to be ruled by evil men. And I'm not calling them evil. I'm just calling them probably incompetent. Well, to be to be to be represented by uh, bad politicians, you know, like. <laughs> and so, but the price we'll pay for being engaged is a better policy, uh, to be ruled by more competent men and women, and I think that is a positive result that will happen. And so, I look forward to seeing that unfold. As also, I look forward to continuing this fight, and and in the end, inevitably. Uh, Stopping it. Yeah. Mate, you're doing a great job. Um, I think uh, I think you and Anand really are like the sort of the central rallying point for this because, you know, you're up there at all the meetings, you're making the case, you're you're putting in all the hours with the Sparta Responsible Development Group. So, mate, you're, you're doing a great job um, and, um, you know, I, I, I admire it. So, well done. Keep fighting the good fight and um, I'll be – I'm not going anywhere, mate. I'll uh, – I'll be putting one or two of these out a week and I'll keep writing articles in Tap into Sparta and all well, that. Thank you. Thank you. I think you, you have done a great job um, shining a spotlight on this. And I like this. I think this podcast is particularly helpful because it's a platform that people are more in touch with. Um, not mm. It's easier to absorb. You can listen to it in the car. Yeah, yeah you can mow the lawn and get on your tractor and listen to it. Uh, hopefully, not crash into the lake while you're listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the outrageous things that that you you learn. Yeah. But um, anyway, it's a wonderful platform. I think it's really helpful. It's got a lot of people engaged more than they ever have in any issue in recent memory. So you know, kudos to you too. Yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll see you at the next meeting. We'll do. I look forward to it. Cheers, now. All right. Great guy, right? Uh, and great discussion, I thought, too. Okay, so next time we're going to sit down with the courageous town council member who is speaking out against the way she was misled in approving the ordinance changes that primed the pump for Diamond Chip to submit their proposal as a permitted use and skirt having to consult with our community. Uh, it's a cracker of an interview. I nearly fell off my chair. I wish I could have pressed rewind in the live meeting because I said to myself, did he really just say that? In which case, and what was what was even more unbelievable is that Councilman Chiarello had asked the specific question on February 23rd, are we making these amendments for any business in particular? And we'll also hear from some more members of our community on what they think about what's going on and what they're doing to make things right. 
Righto. Until then, take it easy, Sparta.